longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I could just sing that song 200 times over and over and be good to go. I love that. Thank you so much this morning. You guys are fabulous. Thank you so much. I wish when Jesus spoke, he said easier things. Um, I, I wish that when he did his thing, it was the simplest thing in the world. And you could go, okay, that's good. I'm, I'm down. That's no problem. And, and then he comes with this text about loving your enemies and praying for those who hate you. It, it just doesn't make any sense. The rule of the jungle, the rule of the law is you kind of get what you deserve and you get what you have coming to you. And yet in this text, Jesus goes a whole different direction. I do love that he says, but to you who are listening, I don't really have the courage to say that in the, you know, in the service. Okay, to y'all who are still listening, this is kind of what it is. Maybe I should incorporate that into my message. It was the end of Jesus' message. If anyone's still awake, here we go. And I wish this was easier. And I wish I could kind of sugarcoat this and say, you know what? This is easy. I've done this a thousand times. And here's the five steps to getting along with your enemies. And I just can't do that. But I can tell you that this works. And I don't know why it works, because it makes absolutely no sense that as you're kind and gracious to people, somehow their hearts melt towards you. As Stefan said, we were in... Um, Phoenix a little bit this week, and I did a presentation and a workshop, and um, a lot, a lot of, actually a lot of people from St. John's, there were 10 of us, and then when all of the other people from Concordia and the other local people who we know were there, there were probably 20 of us from St. John's, it was just fantastic, and um, I get to reacquaint with friends, and it just so happened, there were some friends there I went to college with that I hadn't been with for, I don't know, 1980, 1991 or so. And uh, one of my buddies was missing. Uh, he is from Shawano, Shawano, Wisconsin. We were hoping he was going to be there, and he wasn't there. But he never started as my friend. He started as an enemy. And uh, his name was Mark, is Mark. And he's a very fine, fine pastor in a church uh, there just east of Wausau in the frozen tundra on the way to Green Bay. And um, we had our eyes on the same girl at that point at Concordia College in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, he's one of those guys who could just get under your skin. He is sarcastic and smart, and he knew just the right thing to push to track me off. So an emissary came to me and said, he's going to ask Barbashi out on a date. And I thought, well, I'm going to go over to Walter Hall and kill him. This will work out great. <laughs> I was not pre-seminary at the time. I was teacher education, so I guess my sin was a little more overt. So my friend Eric Taylor sat on me, and he was from Florida, had a little southern boy's voice, and he said, Clink, there's no way you can go over there and do that. You'll get kicked out of school. Just shut up and don't do that. One of my dearest friends in college to that day grew up on Brian Adams' Cuts Like a Knife, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and Mark and I ended up God found a way to put us into proximity with one another. And when I changed from the teacher ed program to the pastor training program, he was in literally every class with me. And we ended up studying together. And we ended up being roommates together. And we ended up being in each other's 
wedding. And we ended up being lifelong friends. And I don't know how it works, except it works by the grace of God. To this day, we talk and communicate. We pick up right where we picked off, you know, with the previous conversation. I haven't seen him in almost five years, but I consider him someone whose heart I know and someone who knows my heart. You see, that's kind of how God works. That's what God's all about when he when he says these words, love your enemies and do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I'm not sure what countercultural looks like now that's a hipster when you google hipster that's what comes up and i guess hipsters are countercultural now but for those of us who are a little bit older haight ashbury is where the counterculture was it used to be that jesus in his way was counter, was cultural and the church kind of ran the show and if you fell outside of the parameters of good christian moral and ethical behavior then everyone looked at you and said shame shame you're you're guilty and maybe the shame, shame, you're guilty, you're guilty thing ran its course. But now, to be countercultural, you follow Christ. And whether it's hipsters or hippies, that was countercultural. And now, what is countercultural is what we believe, what we teach, what we confess, and who we are. And so that peace becomes. Our peace becomes the gracious voice of a culture that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. Christians are going to be increasingly countercultural. And I think that if you look at the history of the church from Jesus on, we thrive when we're countercultural. We stink when we run the show. We're outstanding when we're countercultural. I think Jesus invented the faith to be that way. Because our light shines a little bit brighter when it's dark outside. Our salt is a little bit tastier when the blandness of the human secular culture takes over. And grace becomes a marvelous gift. And mercy becomes a marvelous gift. When souls are parched from living in the culture that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You punch me, I'll punch you. You mess with me, I'll mess with you. You lie to me, I'll lie to you. And somehow, we'll just all get to the point where we can't stand one another. We don't trust one another, and we can't get along. Now, I know that in our culture, that might be overstated. Oh, wait a minute. I think we live in a polarized time. If you could read some of the emails I get, it's so funny. And people send me like a 7,000-word email, like they typed all Sunday afternoon. You know what? Our church needs to be more politically. You need to pass petitions out. If we just voted for... And then if I do that, then simply I'll get an email back that says, we're too politically active, and we're doing this, we're doing that. And I, get, I love the ones that say, and Jesus is a Republican. <laughs> and I like the ones that say, no, 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 Jesus is a Democrat. You follow Twitter feeds? 
I choose the Twitter feeds I want to follow. I don't care about what the other voices have to say. I don't think that's right, but that's kind of how I and maybe some of you are wired, right? We live in a polarizing time, either the right to the left. Mask, no mask. Distance, no distance. Isolation, no isolation. Where are you when it comes to the science? Where are you when it comes to Jesus? Where are you when it comes to stand and say, I'm with the Lord Jesus? Don't paint me with a blue or a red brush. Paint me the color of the cross. Because I'm going to live counterculturally. And I'm going to be a get-along to go-along person of principle in a world that's polarized. One tweet and people go berserk. You know, there's a reason they call it virtual reality. Because it's not real. It's just thoughts and stuff. What's real is you and me and people and the world and the Lord Jesus. And how we get along and how we work together. So in a Christian culture, I wonder who are those people that we need to get along with. I don't know about you, but I've only heard the Lord speak audibly to me twice in 57 years. And both times he said the same thing. Repent. One morning I was sleeping and it was clear as day. The Lord said to me, Timothy, repent and go to this man. And I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, Jim, I have sinned against you. And whatever I'm holding against you, I leave at the foot of the cross. And he started to cry. And the other I'm using a phone because it was an actual telephone. And he said, uh, Pastor... That's a two-way street. And two guys who'd argue about everything for years on boards and committees at this church, our hearts became linked at that moment, and we began to get along and understand one another in a whole different way. Who are those people that come to your mind's eye who are enemies or people difficult to get along with that the Lord Jesus would say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you do good to those who hate you. Because I think right now that's the hardest thing in the world to do. Because it calls up all the reserves of your energy, all the reserves of your fate, all the reserves that you have to be able to deal with people who you don't like and who don't like you. If you look at the grammar of that, those are imperatives they're not suggestions. They are not a subjunctive mood that says, you may or may not want to love your enemies. You may or may not want to do good to them. You may or may not want to bless those who persecute. Those are imperatives. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate. Bless those who curse you. And that's the culture of the church, or it should be. And I pray that it's the culture of our church. That when we have disagreements, we can disagree without being disagreeable and hating one another and getting on one another. It's been interesting to watch the influx of, of families from other schools and they come into the culture of St. John's and they go, wait a minute, you guys kind of get along here in a different way. Y yeah, we kind of do. You can't just fire off and chew on your teacher. You can't just fire off and chew on this. You just don't operate that way. 
right. Because this church is the body of Christ here in Old Town Orange. And we're called not to be a, a, a culture of you get what you deserve, but a culture of grace, a culture at which the favor of God is upon us. I love this scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, because it takes us back to the bridge that God built for us. We always read scripture, we're looking for buts and therefores, right? Buts and therefores. I would say big buts, but that sounds offensive. We look for buts and therefores. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus built the bridge to God for you and me. And he did it not when we were his friends and we said, come on, man, build a bridge. We're that great. This will be cool. When, when you build that bridge, Lord Jesus, you can have all the benefits and blessings of, of being with us because we are so cool. Rather, the scripture says, when we were his enemies, he built the bridge to us. Because he is rich in mercy and full of grace. God sent Jesus into the world so that we would not be slaves to fear and be alone in our lives. But that he would be nearby and close. And the sins that we commit and the things that we do in the broken parts of our lives find resolution in his grace. And the things that we do that we deserve to be punished, not just a little bit, but God-sized punishment in Christ. God has taken those away by his mercy. He has taken the hand of punishment off of us and offered us his love and his closeness and his peace. No longer a slave to fear. I am, we are, a child, children of God. Because God is rich in mercy and loves you dearly. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. And so we have a repository and a foundation in our lives from which we can be merciful and gracious to others. I don't know you, but there, there's a part of me in the, the front of my brain, or in the back of my brain that says, I hope that person gets what they deserve. And then there's a part of the front of my brain that says, yeah, Tim, but aren't you glad that God didn't do that to you? God who is rich in love, God who is gracious and God who is merciful calls you into his family to be his people and to experience that grace and that mercy in community. And then here's what happens. I love this. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Most people who are pagans quote that when you say something. Eh, judge not lest you also will be judged. Oh, okay. So, so mark this on your phone because then you can come back and say, oh, I'm glad that you know that scripture verse. Here's the rest of the story. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. 
And then the visual of this is a, is a person sitting at that time of wearing robes, sitting on a chair, and the, 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 the lap, the, the, the robe catching and gathering in the lap like a large bowl. And Jesus says, a good measure will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a vulnerability in that and a what if in that. What if I'm kind and they're not? What if they're, what if I'm gracious and they're hateful? I guess that's where we let the Lord Jesus put in our lap the good things and the blessings of being gracious and kind. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What a marvelous way to be called to be kind, to be gracious to be forgiving. And then this, and I alluded to this a few moments ago. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And as the world goes now, it's kind of conflicted and yucky, kind of dark. And yet we shine like lights in the universe, our eyes filled with the radiance of the love of Jesus, our hearts brimming over with the measure of God's goodness to us, our relationships exponentially better and stronger because they're filled with the tension of grace and mercy, of repentance and forgiveness that mark us as people not of retribution and retaliation, but as people who give and pray and love. As Pat was reading that scripture, the, the, the word credit came to mind. Credit, credit, credit. What credit is it to you? What credit is to you? And I'm reminded of that, that scripture when God said, Abraham believed in God and God credited that to him as righteousness. Perhaps we're writing checks on the account of Jesus and his cross and leading people to that cross when we offer kindness to our enemies, prayers for those who hate us, and generosity to those who are cheap. And the salt's a little saltier and the light's a little brighter. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the ability just to be here, to be in community, not afraid, not jumping out of our skin, but close to you and close to one another. Whoever the face is, Lord, who, whoever that individual is, I, I don't know, I've got a couple of them kind of streaming in my mind right now, and I pray you grant us the courage to be gracious and kind. It doesn't take a genius or a brilliant person to be hateful. That comes kind of with human nature. But you've called us as your people 
to be salt and light in the world. Provide open doors, provide open conversations, provide open places where we can engage lo lovingly and kindly. Bless, uh, bless us with a softness of spirit and a softness of heart in that you loved us so much and you care for us and you are with us in such a deep, meaningful way that, that we can engage in those places that are cold and hard and painful. You got our back, you got our feet, you're ahead of us, you're with us, you guide us and you lead us. Be with us this week, Lord. When we see that open opportunity, grant us the courage to take it. In Jesus' name.